0: You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Confidence in Trust and Trusting Humility. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you. All of our creeksiders and our online guests, thanks so much for being with us today. It's our privilege uh, to be in your home and uh, just be sharing what God's speaking to us. I want to invite you this morning to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. There was this man who had this chronic anxiety, and he went to his doctor. And the doctor said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set you up. I want you to play golf. I want you to go out and play some rounds of golf. Then the guy goes, man, I can't do that. That'll just frustrate me even more. I mean, that just ties me up into anxiety. And the doctor says, well, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to have you play a really unusual way. You're going to go out and you're going to play with an imaginary ball. You're going to make imaginary hits and you're going to keep an imaginary score. Well, the guy says, you know what? I'm just, I'm so tied up, I'll do anything. So he goes out and he starts playing one day and uh, he's out there and man, he's playing a couple holes and he's finding that he can relax. And man, this is really good. He hits the ball down 300 yards, splits the middle of the fairway, goes up. He hits it onto the green and he's two putts and he goes, wow, par, this is good. And I'm really feeling pretty good. Well, all of a sudden he's playing a couple more holes and a guy comes up to him and he goes, man, what are you doing? And he goes, well, You're not going to believe this, but my doctor prescribed me to play golf. And he prescribed me to play imaginary golf because I was just so tense and had so much anxiety in my life. And the guy goes to him, You know, this game has bound me up and given me anxiety and frustration for years as well. Would you mind if I join you? <clears throat> so they're playing and they're going along and they're talking and enjoying this incredible round of golf. And they're playing and hitting, not really thinking about it, no competition. Until finally they're walking and they're enjoying the scenery and they're in the middle of the 18th hole. And the one guy, he gets ready to hit and he hits his ball. And he goes, wow, look at that. I, I, it's going up on the green. It's going right to, it's in the hole. And he goes, what do you think of that? The guy turns to him and he goes, you hit my ball. <laughs> I love that. Isn't it interesting in life how, we, how elusive Contentment is when we get into competitive situations, when we get into tense times. ah, It's so easy to lose our contentment. We're going to look today at a man, Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote this letter from jail. It was a totally unfair incarceration. Yet, as you as you hear him speak and write through this letter, there's no doom. There's no gloom. There's no complaining. There's simply thankfulness for these people that cared for him and gave to him and gave blessing upon him. It's not some kind of a holy hopefulness that is pie in the sky. But it's a man about his statement of faith and his declaration of trust in the Lord Jesus. He's totally in touch with the eternal. He understands that he's a man, that he's a person of God's destiny, and that affects how he thinks. Uh, there's, There's 12 or 14 references to your thinking in this book. He's experiencing great joy. And so as you read this powerful little polemic of a letter about joy and how we think and about the person of Jesus... I think you can catch a sense of Paul saying, this is my situation, and this is what I'm experiencing. And almost tongue-in-cheek, probably, I sure hope you're experiencing this as well in your situation. I don't know about you, but I can't read this book and feel bad about myself when I hear the way that he's responding to his situations after being beaten and thrown in jail numerous times. Now, I'll confess, I don't think that this passage is going to be any kind of an intellectual stress for you, to be honest. But some could struggle with some of the concepts that Paul, some of the precepts that Paul puts forth, Now, because they really do have kind of a difficult edge to life, to him then, uh, but to us as well. I think it's so easy to look at Paul and go, oh, good idea, nice, nice thoughts, What in the world do you know about my life in the 21st century dealing with COVID-19 or living on the edge financially? It's easy to look back and say they don't understand it. But everything is relative, loved ones. Everything's relative. And I think we can look here and say, you know something? Let's see what Paul has to say to us today. So if you would, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. Excuse me, verse 6. Forgot my glasses. This may be hard to read. For starting at verse six, he says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look to Him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought you and I can have, is going to guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, there's those powerful things again, your mind, your thoughts. Then he goes on to say, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's any praise, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your mind on these things. I want you to dwell on these things as well. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me in the God of peace. I just love this. And the God of peace will be with you. Take a deep breath there and just repeat those. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, he says, and I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. Thank you, he's saying. You were in fact concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. Now, I don't say this out of, out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, Whatever, well-fed, whether I'm hungry, whether in abundance, whether I'm in need, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Still, you did well with me in your sharing. And now Philippians know this, that the earthly days, the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia is the church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you alone. He's saying, man, I just want to, he reiterates this thankfulness for what they had done for him. And I want to give you just a few reminders today in dealing with this and maybe becoming a little bit more contented. Paul gives us just a really simple reminder here. It's obvious. And he says, I, I want you to pray. He says, I don't want you to worry about anything, but I want you to pray about everything. You might want to write that down. That's such an important statement or, or repeat it after me. Don't pray about, don't worry about anything, but pray about Everything. Yeah, it's pretty easy to say, a little more difficult to live out. You know, our world gives us options all the time, don't they? I I call the, we have kind of a survival shelf mentality. I mean, if you go to the pharmacy and you go to the grocery store, they have these places where you can go and find just about whatever you need on the survival shelf. So I thought today I'd just give you a little help and insight. If you're trying to survive in this season and get through day by day, let me give you some options. Here's what you can get on the survival shelf of your local store. You can get some aspirin. You can get Excedrin, ibuprofen, Tylenol, Bufferin, Advil. And I had 20 others. You can also, maybe you're having trouble getting to bed and sleeping and making it through the night. You can get some Compose, which is if I was going to use this stuff, that would be my favorite. I just love that. (sighs) Get some Compose. Or, having trouble getting to sleep, go get some sleepies. Or you have trouble getting up, get some no-dos. Listen, you could bookend your life with those two right there in this season. There's so many options. But I think as we look at the uh, the life of Paul 2,000 years ago, uh, he'd probably say, you know, I don't have a whole lot of survival shelf uh, options for you. But I got a couple of suggestions that I think will be really helpful for you. And they're good 2,000 years later because God affirms them. I lived them. Jesus lived them. And saints and people throughout history have lived them out. And the first thing he says, you know what you need to do? You've got to quit worrying about everything. You've got to pray about everything. I'm reading a fascinating study right now uh, by a guy named Charles Stone. He's a pastor on the brain. And he talks about there's three areas when, that when we come to a passage like this, have you ever noticed that sometimes we do all the spiritual disciplines, we do all the right things, uh, but we still deal with worry. And, and I don't have time today to unpack this. Sometime I will. But he talks about all of the physiology of the brain and how that can become such a deterrence and we, become, we, we establish these ruts of worry in our brain. And we can do all the spiritual things we want, but if we just keep worrying and we establish these ruts, we're not going to be able to get out of them. But what he does say here, and he reminds us, he says, you know what, you got to read, Paul says, you got to redirect your attention. He says that in verse 6. Instead of fretting and worrying, We've got to redirect your attention. And he gives us things even to redirect our attention on. Later in verse 8, he says, I want you to think on these things. And then he says, you need to refocus your brain thoughts. We need to refocus our brain from the problems and the issues and the difficulties going on. Whatever our source of anxiety is that's stealing contentment in our present place, yeah, you've got to begin to refocus and redirect that and think on some of these things. That Paul says are excellent. Think on good things. Think on God things. And then he says, make sure that Jesus is the focus of your prayer. It isn't just always reiterating and saying the same thing about the things that you're going through, but focus on Jesus. He's really the survival shelf that everybody needs. See, the older I get, the more I'm learning. Prayer really isn't about a monologue. It's a dialogue that whenever I get up in the morning and go into my home office or whether I go for a walk and I'm praying or I'm driving and I'm praying or I'm on my knees and I'm praying, uh, while I speak to Jesus, I speak to the living Christ. I'm learning to take less time talking and more time <clears throat> to simply stop and listen. What's his heartbeat? What, is, what does he want to say to me? And it's not that he speaks audibly to me as much as there are these thoughts, these feelings, this sense in my mind and my heart, things that he says to me, gives me marching orders for the day. His voice is subtle and it's small. And I think Paul can speak to this because he knows he's been up, he's been down, he's been hungry, he's been well-fed, he's been rich, he's been poor. He's gone through some difficult things and he says, don't forget, loved ones, pray. And some of you now are probably thinking, well, you don't, he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't holed up in my home, in my home. He didn't have to deal with the things that I'm dealing with and you're probably right. But he was holed up in a dingy, dank, difficult dungeon of a cell and he had to look and trust Jesus. I have a I have a long range mentor that said this never despise anything that sends you to your knees. And I think, loved ones, this is one of those times where we can despise it, but we can't change it. So let's go to our knees. The second thing Paul does here is just it's so powerful. He expresses his appreciation. The Philippian church had sent one of the guys here, his name is Aphroditus. They'd sent him with a gift to Paul. Well, Paul was really hard. I mean, he was kind of like a hit and miss guy. Uh, He was all over the place. And so they never were able to connect with him, to give him the gift from the church and to update them on the well-being of the church that Paul helped to start. So Paul's always on the move. And he says, you know something? I know that you wanted to get this to me. He says, I know you were concerned about my lack, but you lacked the opportunity to be able to get it to me. See, isn't it really true? A lot of times we have the opportunity, but we lack the desire to do it. Paul says, No, no, no. I saw your heart and your desire to do this for me. No harm, no foul. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so thankful. I want to just kind of parenthetically add this because it's so true. I just want to thank Creekside for the way that you have gone about in this season. Because you're like that. You have looked for needs and opportunities to give and to serve. Uh, We have adopted a local restaurant just to help them stay in business. It's a little family-owned restaurant. And whenever I've gone in there, the number of times I've gone in there, they've expressed, expressed their appreciation to me for the people that come. It's just a wonderful thing that everybody has bought into and done. You've been wonderful. You've been consistent. You've stayed with your giving, even though we haven't met in this situation for over six weeks. I just want to say thank you. You don't know how important that is. You know, I haven't had to get on there and ask and beg or whatever. You just keep giving. I mean, I get people calling me and saying, hey, PT, how can I give? Where do I give? How do I do it? And I just, uh, man, it, it just it blesses this pastor's heart. I just want to say thank you. We purchased uh, two porta-potties for our city to help with the homeless, to be able to have some dignity whenever they go and have to do some things. And um, <clears throat> we've actually, because of the generosity of Creekside, we're able to not only purchase them, but we're able to service them for the next year. And our city is very thankful and our, uh, the homeless group that we're working with are so thankful for that. Some of you have sent gift cards. Some of you would call me and said, give me the name of somebody that could use these. You went out and bought gift cards and you wanted to help people that are Creeksiders. I just want to say thank you to you. I want to thank you just for the hearts that you have. And then, uh, you know what? Uh, if you're out there and, and you need help, w- would you just let us know? Give us a call. You can uh, email us at admin, uh, admin at creekside.org. But if you're a person that needs help through this time, please let us know. Because we have just incredible gifts of people that have helped. So Paul is, he's so appreciative to this church in the midst of everything that he's doing. They didn't bring them, they weren't able to get the gift to him. But he says, I know your heart. And he's talking then about his needs in verse 10. Catch Paul's attitude concerning his needs. He says, "Even, even when I didn't hear from you, I knew your heart's intention. See, it's so easy for us to make judgments on people's action while we judge our intentions. Paul doesn't do that. He says, I know your heart. I knew your intentions, and you tried, and I just want to thank you for that. That shows an incredible depth of maturity because he knew what they tried to do. It's so easy, isn't it, for us to get into this place where maybe we're upset because we're waiting for help. Maybe we haven't got our stimulus check yet. Maybe our unemployment hasn't arrived yet. And, or maybe we're a small business that needs assistance and we're not getting it. And we're not experiencing joy. Uh, we're not saying like, Paul, thank you. We're not appreciative. How do you live and be able to rejoice when people, maybe the government doesn't arrive, aren't able to assist you at all or maybe as quickly as you would like. I think we see from Paul, don't focus on the expectations that you have because whenever we have expectations, it will always be the pathway to disappointment. And eventually what happens when we get disappointed, we're gonna blame others and we're gonna blame people or we're gonna blame circumstances instead of saying, God, here's what I know, you're large, you're in charge and you're going to take care of this. See, we live in a culture that really is all about getting our needs met. I mean, truthfully, why do we get married? I mean, it's often simply to meet our needs. But the problem comes because over time, our needs change. Our needs become different, and that's when people say, you know what, you're no longer meeting my needs, so I'm going to move on. But Paul's teaching them, he's teaching you and me, there's another way to live. And you don't base your life on expectations, on others or circumstances and situations, because most likely you'll be let down. You base it on this, that whatever situation in you, live with a sense of contentedness. And that's what he talks about really in this passage, is contentment. Here's a question. Who's more content, a multimillionaire or a father of 10 children? <laughs> you probably got it, a father of 10, because he doesn't want any more children. But consider this word where he uses content, because it's used in a couple of ways. Uh, one of the ways that would have been very familiar to the church at Philippi, the, the, the people from Philippi, and to his readers, it was used, about a, it was used of a group called the Stoics. The pinnacle of their philosophy was in contentment, but their contentment was kind of extreme, and their contentment was basically this. I'm content because I need nothing, and I want no one. I want nothing. I need no one. I need nothing. Uh, Paul doesn't use this word in a stoic sense. What he's saying is, is I've learned to deal with my needs, He's not saying I don't have any because true faith is always truthful and it understands the reality of where we are. Paul's just saying in my reality, I'm able to be content, to be satisfied, to not have to be grasping and thriving or grabbing for trying to get. The Stoics did it totally by denial. They would work and they would try and kill their desires and their feelings. And they would ultimately work to simply become cold and calculating and really remove from any feelings in their life. But Paul uses the word to show it's not dependent upon or driven by the needs of his life. He says, you know what, I'm just going to be content. I'm going to learn to live in the state that I find myself in. Are you able to do that where you are today? How do you do that? How does one get to that place? Well, Paul uses the word content twice in this few verses. And he says, "'The first time I've learned to be content "'in whatever circumstances.'" And this word really has to do with that it comes and it evolves in our life from personal experience. He says, I've learned. It's the idea I've been discipled. I get thrust into these situations and I have to learn to make the best of them. It's the idea of, it almost has this idea of going through a research. It's an assignment. It's in a test that you experience. It's like a pop quiz. It's like lab work that we would have gone through in school. But he says, you know what? I've been through enough of these pop-up quizzes. I've been, enough, I've been through enough of these tests. And I've learned how to simply say and to trust Jesus, I trust you in the midst of this. It's about being disciplined It's about removing the focus on what's your experience but how you can get through this experience and grow in it and grow through it. Well, he uses the word content again and the second time he says, I have learned the secret of being content. This is different. This has a different nuance because it's got the idea of being initiated into Learning the rights of. It's kind of like almost having the secret society insider knowledge or learning. I know what it's like. I've been on the inside. Not only have I learned it over here, but I've been initiated into the secrets of contentment. So he's saying on one hand, you learn it. But on the other hand, it's something you're initiated into. You get to experience at a different spiritual level. Now, Paul's not saying, no, 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 no. I've got the info. Sorry, you're on the outside. He's not saying that at all. That's not the tone of what he's speaking about. What he's saying is this inside information comes from a spiritual relationship that I have with God. You look for his presence. You know he is at work whether you're abounding or whether it's going under, whether it's difficult or whatever, you still look to see Jesus's work. And he begins to say that in the midst of my circumstances, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And here's the greatest key to the secret. You see it right in the next verse, in verse 13, where Paul says, I I can do all things through Christ who continually, ongoingly, infuses me with his strength. While I'm in prison, there's this sense of strength that's taking place. While I'm being beaten, there's this sense of strength in this place. While I am under house arrest, while I'm under house quarantine, I'm infused with the power of Christ. Because I know this, that the all-sufficient indwelling Christ is my ultimate strength. I'm not going to get it from a survival shelf. I may not even get it from a church. Why? Because Jesus cannot be taken from me. Because he's within, I can lean in to my trust in him in every situation that I face. Paul says, I know how to live in the extremes of life. And he almost uses this like a metronome where it's little, much, full, hungry. He says, I have a little. I have little money. It's running low, man. There's no check in the mail. What am I going to do? And then on the next thing, he says, but I've learned how to live in a lot. The bucks are rolling in. The stocks are up and to the right. I know how what it's like to be hungry. There's no food. There's no TP. What am I going to do? No, I'm going to trust. He says, I know what it's like to be well-fed in abundance. Man, I'm just stuffed. I'm full all the time on the best food. It's like a metronome, back, forth. I understand how to live in these extremes because of my God. Well, what about this season? Does it sound familiar? Feel like you're back, you're forth, living in some extremes? Isn't it interesting how we, we live one minute we'll be saying I don't have enough family time. I just want more family time. I'm so busy. And then we get it for 6 weeks and now it's it's too much family time. I need a break. Or man, I just need a break from the work routine. I'm so busy. It's just so intense. And now after 6 weeks, get me back. Get me back. I just want to go back to work. I want to get a vacation and go back to work. We're too busy. I just want a slower pace. Six weeks later, we get it. I'm bored. I want to do something. Isn't it interesting that we have difficulty living in the extremes, and it's really because of a lack of personal contentment? This is radical, loved ones. If you want to be a rejoicing, content person, listen to what Paul is saying. He says, you're going to learn contentment. You're going to learn contentment through the experiences of life that you're involved in. And look at the experience that we're in now. This is where you get to begin to learn some of the ways of looking to the one who brings contentment. But what's his doorways? What are his entrance point to living a contented life? Well, the first one we see really is just prayer, is where you don't worry. You don't, you, don't, you don't get negative. You just focus on the good things that God is doing. And here's what he says over and over. Philippians 2, 5, he says, Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. This is a mind where Father God is present. He comes and he gradually, through our life, crowds out troublesome worries and misguided, uh, misguided intention and overcoming fears. He says you'll begin to recognize God's transforming power in your life as his thoughts begin to fill your life and your mind. Where in times like this, we get to choose gratitude instead of having this continued unsatisfied desire for what we don't have, instead of saying, God, thank you for what you have given me in this season. When I face an emergency, my first response is simply to know God is with me. He's here in the midst of all of this. Paul talks about this renewed mind that is the key to spiritual transformation. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, don't be conformed any longer to the the patterns of this world. Don't just look to the survival shelf. Yeah, we need those things periodically, but don't depend upon them. Don't look to them, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Note he doesn't say be transformed by the changing of your behavior because our behavior seldom ever changes without our mind being renewed and being changed. As a church and as a people, we we got to get into the mental storage business where we're storing up good things Philippians 4:8. He says whatever things are noble, whatever are good, whatever are right, whatever are pure, whatever are lovely, whatever is admirable, let your mind dwell. Think, focus, meditate, rest on, take in, pursue those things. How would you like to have a mind that just has streams of thought running through it like that? Well, the Bible tells us we can begin to develop that. We talked about it earlier, about redirecting our attention. Redirecting our attention on the things that are good, the things that are of God. If I want to go into the mental storage business the absolute gold standard to put into your mind, the greatest resource to change your thinking, the most powerful way to learn a new direction is simply the Bible, God's word, because it's filled, it's replete, it's full of his promises of how he can change our thinking. Here's my own practice and what I recommend In the morning when I'm doing my reading and journaling and praying, I just get one thought. And I just try and grab one thought for the day. And as I'm going through the day, one of the things I'm doing now, as I mentioned it last week, is, is just gratitude. Every day, that's my thought. And I'm finding that in the midst of all the news and everything that I hear from people, this is what I focus on. I get some bad news. I get somebody saying something negative. I go, oh God, just thank you for this time. Help me to leverage it. Help me to share your grace and your love with creeksiders, with people around me, with my home, with my bride. Think on those things and you'll begin to renew your mind. See, we all want, we all want predictable fair weather But here's the key, loved ones. If you want to be content, you'll understand this very clearly. Jesus works in the downpours, the cold times, the warm times, the great times. When you're full and when you're hungry, the key is to change your thinking and to see Jesus at work every day in every way of your life. I don't know where you are today, but as we close, I just want to give you the opportunity to come and maybe to receive Jesus. Because what Paul's talking about when he says, man, I've learned the secret. His secret is really Jesus. He's the secret sauce. Excuse the term. But Jesus was his secret because he knew Jesus infused him with life and power and the ability to change his thinking. It's not just some kind of worldly, positive, mental attitude system. Man, it's a total overhaul of the inside. And if you've never received Jesus, I want to invite you today to do that, to just simply confess, I'm a sinner. Man, I need Jesus, and I need his life. And that if you just say a prayer, something like what I'm going to say in a moment, that's where it starts. And we'd love to hear today. If you do that, just let us know and we'd love to hear from you. I sure hope you're doing well, and I want to pray for you. Father, we come today. I thank you for these precious people that would have turned in this morning. Lord, to hear just uh, our, our folks lead us in worship and to hear your word. I pray, God, that you would lead us to be people who are content. And if there's anybody here today, Jesus, that's never crossed the line of faith, made a decision to step forward and say, I want to follow you. Oh, Jesus, invite them today. Let them hear your heart and your love and your grace for them. And if that would be you, loved one, just put your trust, lean in to the life changer and just say, Lord, I I choose today to follow you. I may not understand it, but I'm gonna make this decision today. And you tell that to Jesus. Ask him to forgive forgive you of your sins and to receive you that's what Jesus came, lived, died, and resurrected to do. So Lord, I pray for every person that would be watching, that you'd be with them, watch over them, teach them, disciple them in this season in contentedness, and then let them know like never before the presence of your life that infuses them to face everything they face. In your strong name, I pray.